Good morning. Great to see you. Good to be with you. If you're visiting maybe for the very first time, an especially warm welcome to you. My name is Tim, if you don't know that. My privilege, my joy, is to help us to worship the Lord through the study of his word. Boy, great songs this morning, huh? Worship team led us in some wonderful songs together that are perfect for taking us where we want to go this morning. So if you wouldn't mind, I'll ask you to grab your Bible, and if you would, turn with me into the New Testament book of Philippians, chapter 4, and that might be on your Bible, that could be on your iPad or your phone, however it's working for you today, but we do have Bibles in the back. If you would like to have a Bible, just raise your hand. I'd be glad to share a copy of God's Word with you, and there's a little note page in your bulletin as well. I would ask you to grab that because that will be of some help along the way. That last song we sang, It Is Well With My Soul. Is that true for you today? Yeah? Horatio Spafford is the man who wrote that song, It Is Well With My Soul, and it is without question really one of the great hymns of the faith. And although the words are rich and powerful in their own right, they they become even more so when we are made aware of the circumstances out of which this song was born. Horatio Spafford lived in Chicago, his life spanning a significant portion of the 1800s. He was a lawyer with a very successful practice, but more importantly, Spafford was a man with a a deep spiritual conviction, a passion for Jesus Christ, and and a desire for others to come to know Jesus in saving faith. As a result, he was tirelessly involved in the ministry of D.L. Moody, who at the time was probably the most famous pastor and evangelist in America, who also uh, worked in Chicago, lived in Chicago. But Spafford was uh, as well a man who knew deep heartache. He understood pain, and he had experienced significant loss. He was an astute businessman, and he had invested heavily in real estate along the shore of Lake Michigan in Chicago. And so when the great Chicago fire of 1871 rolled through that city, it totally wiped out uh, most of his financial investments. And so he, he knew great financial loss. Just prior to that event happening, his youngest son had also died as a result of an illness. So he knew pain. Wishing to bring some rest and comfort to his weary family in the midst of all of this loss, he had arranged for a trip for uh, all of them to go to England, his wife and his four daughters. The trip would coincide with a, a major evangelistic outreach campaign that Moody was conducting in England at that time. At the last minute, however, some pressing business required that Spafford himself remain behind just for a short time, but he determined to send his wife and his daughters on ahead, and then he would follow a few days later. Well, out on the icy seas of the North Atlantic in late November, the ship that his family was on and that he would have been on collided with another vessel, and so violent was the collision that Spafford's family's ship sank in just 12 minutes. Survivors were plucked from the sea, transported to England, where Mrs. Spafford sent her husband a two-word telegram which simply read, Saved Alone. All four of his daughters, their daughters, had drowned. 
Spafford departed for England immediately on the next available ship to be with his grieving wife. And near the very place where that ship carrying his family had gone down, Spafford took out a scrap piece of paper that was in his pocket and he wrote the words that were later put to the music, the, the words that we just sang, he wrote in that moment. When sorrows like sea billows roll. You talk about a, a, a vivid word picture to describe the heart of this man. And yet despite his loss, despite his pain, his grief, his sorrow in that moment, he continues, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. You know, from a human perspective, it is impossible really to comprehend how anyone can take on such tragedy and still say, uh, peace like a river attendeth my way, it is well with my soul. Obviously, such words come only after you have served a, a long apprenticeship in faith's classroom where God's word is, is well known to you and where God's great faithfulness has seen you through as seasons of tragedy at prior times in your life. History has not handed down to us the chapters and verses that Spafford might have run to in this this terrible time in his life, but I have to believe that from out of the arsenal of truth that God supplies to his people in such times as Spafford was experiencing, I have to believe that one of the, the go-to places that Horatio Spafford would have gone to was out of this fourth chapter of the book of Philippians, where your Bible is now open. This morning, we want to take a closer look together as a church family at a brief but very potent two-little-verse section. It's verses 6 and 7 of chapter 4. And here's why we land here this morning, church. The last time we were together, we launched uh, a little mini-series that we have simply called Thanks. As we make our way toward the Thanksgiving holiday, Brandon and I, as I had shared with you last time, saw an opportunity for us to turn Thanksgiving into something more than just a one-day national holiday observance. As a church family, we could enjoy a month of Thanksgiving thoughts to God, the month of November, as our hearts would and our minds would, would, would be called to several special places where this theme of being thankful is put before us in really impossible to miss ways. And not only might our Thanksgiving celebrations at month's end be enhanced in an elevated way by spending uh, several weeks building to that kind of a place, but we would get a fresh reminder as well of the, the super critical role that, that thankfulness and gratitude play in the life of, of any growing Christian. And then beyond all that, as we noted last time, God says saying thank you is a big deal to him. It's a really big deal to him. And so anything that we might learn in these weeks that would help us to be more thankful followers of Jesus, well, that's going to be a win for us and it's going to be glory for God, right? 
And so for all those reasons, we find ourselves today in this place. And today we're going to be reminded of the important role that thankfulness holds when sea billows roll, as it were, in our lives. More specifically, to, to consider together the role uh, that thanksgiving plays in our prayer life during life's most brutal storms. Now, brothers and sisters, neither you or I may ever have to face the anguish of soul that Horatio Spafford and his wife had to endure. I hope that we never need to know that or will know that. But, you know, sooner or later, all of us must confront crises. We must experience loss, endure sorrow and disappointment. Sooner or later, we all have to deal with the soul being anxious or being in anguish. Some of our experiences are relatively short-term and and not very significant, but boy, others will seem practically unbearable, insurmountable, and maybe even unsurvivable. And yet our faithful God has given us wonderful and effective counsel in this passage that will allow us to honor him and to bring glory to him and to be able to say with Horatio Spafford, it is well with my soul even when life is about to bury us. So if any of us today are in such a place, a painful, anxious, fearful, maybe a tearful place, some immediate help is going to be available for you today in these two verses that we shared together. And if that's not where you are today, I would say, great. Thank God, right, that that is true, that you're not in such a place. But for all of us who might not be in such a place this morning, we can tuck these truths away because we know that sooner or later we're going to need them, right? Because we live in a fallen, sinful world, and sooner or later we are going to need these verses. Let's read these two verses together. Uh, either off of your note page or off of the screen. Can we do that? Philippians 4, 6 and 7. As a church family, let's read these verses. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. These verses are well known to many of us. Some of you have memorized these verses. But the question of the day is, how well, how consistently do we do verse 6 so that we can experience the results of verse 7? The Holy Spirit has given us an incredibly powerful, intensely practical way to to take on the storms of this life, but are we taking advantage of what he has given to us? Well, let's see what the Lord has for us, church, out of these two verses this morning. And as we take a look at these, we're stepping straight into uh, verses that we have no idea where do they where do they fit in the bigger picture of of the book of Philippians. And so maybe just a quick little uh, addressing of the context would would help us to appreciate more why the Holy Spirit writes this uh, to us through the pen of the Apostle Paul. Paul writes Philippians uh, in the year 62 AD 
to a small group of Christians who are living in a Roman colony in Macedonia, a, a little town called Philippi. And it was Paul who had actually brought the truth of Jesus to this community. He had planted a church here on his second missionary journey. And we get the details of all of that in Acts chapter 16. If you want to maybe uh, later on in the week take a look at how did this church get planted. The church is for the most part a really healthy growing uh, fellowship of Christians who, who took their Christianity very seriously. But as it was for all Christians who lived in this particular time, when you declared your faith in the Lord Jesus and you forsook the pagan gods of your culture and your ancestors and you stood firm for the love of Jesus in your day, man, it was not easy. It was tough. There would be criticism. There would be isolation. There would be persecution from those who had once been your friends. And sometimes your family would disown you because you had abandoned the faith of the family for this, this new thing called faith in Jesus. And so it was really tough. There would have been uh, ridicule. There would have been threats. There would have been loss of job, potentially loss of your property. It was not easy. And so the Philippian believers had major painful challenges to face just by virtue of loving Jesus. The, the, the seas were rough, I guess would be a good way to put that for them. And add to that Paul's own circumstances as he writes this letter. He's writing this letter from a prison. He's in Rome. He's been unjustly robbed of his freedom. He's been placed under house arrest and under the watchful eye of a of a Roman soldier night and day. He's chained to a Roman soldier, and this has been the situation going on almost two years by this time. He's waiting for his day in court with the verdict of life or death hanging in the balance for him. And all of this he's experienced because he loves Jesus and because he wants other people to know about Jesus. And so it's a tough time. Persecution, uncertainty, possibly death for Paul, and threat of uh, threats to family, threats to relationships, livelihood, future for all of the Philippian believers. And all of that is the perfect dry kindling to start a fire of anxiety or fear or worry in the heart of any Christian. And so it's into this context that Paul, under the inspiration of God's Spirit, counsels do not be anxious about most things. Right? No? No? Okay. Do not be anxious about anything. Right? That's what he says. Now, this word anxious, uh, this is Paul's far-reaching, hugely inclusive word for, for all of the thoughts and all of the emotions that we feel in the most difficult times of our lives. The Greek word that he uses is a, is a word that actually means to be pulled in different directions or to be pulled apart. And that really is, if you stop and think about it, an accurate description of what's going on inside of us when life's storms blow in. Our hopes and our desires and our wishes, they pull us in one direction and our fears and our worries and our doubts pull us in the other direction. And we really do feel like we're being pulled apart and so that's the perfect word anxious do not be pulled apart 
by anything. Brother, sister, this isn't a suggestion, is it? It's a command. It's a direct imperative. But how? How are we who are in Jesus to take on life's anxiety-producing tough times and not get pulled apart? How does that work? Well, verse 6 tells us, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with, what's the next word? Thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What was Paul urging the Philippians to do in this, in this time when their, 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 their life was, was bringing on these great anxieties? What are they supposed to do with all of that? What's Paul saying? He's saying pray, isn't he? He's saying pour out your heart to your God. He tells them to approach God and talk to him about the, the, the issues, the events, the person, the loss, the relationship, the circumstance that in that moment is the catalyst for anxiety, for the anxious spirit. And as Paul says this, he uses no less than three different words to describe this this dialogue that we would have with God. In my ESV, my English Standard Version, he uses the word prayer, he uses the word supplication, and what was that third word again? Thanksgiving. Now, understanding each of these Words is really critical for us if we hope to do what the verse is calling us to do. That first word, prayer. In the Bible, the main word for people talking to God is the word prayer. But when Paul uses that word here, I need to ask you to enlarge your thoughts and think a little differently about the word prayer as you see it on the page. Because what Paul is actually asking us to do is think of the word prayer and immediately think of words like adoration, worship, reverence, praise, awe for who God is. That is to be understood as you read the word prayer. This is praise prayer. This is not asking prayer. It's exclusively praise prayer. The asking part will come with the very next word. And it's no accident that Paul chooses this word first in his instructions to the Philippians and to us. Because when we are in an anxiety-producing crisis or moment, brother or sister, and we do avail ourselves of the, 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 the power of prayer and the, the availability of that, Our natural tendency, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think our natural tendency is for us to immediately bypass the praise and go straight to the what? To the supplication. Straight to the asking, right? That's where we naturally go. go. When when life storms blow in, we we blow into God's throne room and we dump our truck of of, of wishes and desires and longings and, and, and all of that, and we hardly give a thought to God being God. We hardly give a thought to His exalted person and the exalted place that He holds. We just blast in there and boom! We dump the truck. Am I wrong or am I right? Yeah. And so Paul says, don't make that mistake. Do not be anxious. Instead, come before your God and worship Him in prayer as the first step in dealing with the fear and the anxiety that is 
is residing within, within your heart because of the storm you're going through. Be captivated first by the majesty and the greatness of the one that you're talking to. This God is almighty God, and you are talking to him. And in that moment of talking to him, the angels in heaven are, are on their faces, and they, they are crying out, holy, holy, holy. And so there's this deep reverence and respect that is only right. And we come blowing in there into the glorious chambers of the king and saying, God, I've got a problem. Fix it. Right? Although God is incredibly patient with us because we do that, he's incredibly patient with us. It, 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 it has to grieve his heart that, that we do not see him first, but rather we, we, we're really consumed with ourselves and with our need. And so the call is, when anxiety threatens, pray, pray. And that means worship, adore, reverence, extol, praise God. And just in case you're wondering what that might, might look like, what that might sound like, let's just hear an example of this in action. I invite you to listen to the words of David as he prays this kind of prayer from Psalm 145. And Alan has been good enough to agree to read this for us. So maybe you can close your eyes and listen to this prayer of adoration. And we say, amen and amen. Thank you, Alan, for reading the word and reading it so well. That was a, that was a little mini sermon in itself, wasn't it? Yeah. Recalling how good, how big, how faithful, how generous, how involved God is, that in itself, brothers and sisters, is an anxiety reducer. Do you not think so? It reduces our anxiety to... to get our attention off of ourselves and put that on to the Lord. He is our great, great God and he deserves that. And we know that we're, we're right in viewing the word prayer here in verse 6 in this way 
because Paul actually then uses the very next word to take us in the asking direction. So both words can't have to do with asking. The first is adoration. The second has to do with asking God. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer. And what's the next word again? Supplication. Maybe your version uses the word petition, or maybe it even uses the word beseech. When the sea billows roll, we begin with prayers of adoration, but then we come to that place of addressing God with our need, whatever that is, along with with a deep desire to see the need met. We can articulate that. We're invited to do that here. This word supplication, as, as Paul uses it, is not... Not some kind of a half-hearted, kind of in, kind of out asking. The closest English words that we have for this Greek word, uh, and to get to its true meaning, are words like honest, earnest, intense request. Asking God for things in an aggressive, uh, honest, heartfelt, intense kind of way. No wasted words. No needless repetition as if saying the same thing over and over to God somehow improves our chances of him responding. Do we do that? Yeah, we do. We do. Here the communication between God and the anxious soul of the prayer is just brutally honest. it's, It's to the point. It is intense. That's the word supplication. Although no human prayer can 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 ever really fully approach this, it is the kind of praying that we hear from Jesus when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before the crucifixion. And there, throughout the night, he he prayed to his heavenly Father with with an intensity that the gospel writers tell us uh, and help us to glimpse only by saying that when he prayed, his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. Remember that? Yeah. So intense were the petitions that Jesus was making to his heavenly father that night that he is soaking wet with sweat. That's supplication. Spiritually intense. And our God is always ready to receive those kinds of conversations from us. We find these kinds of petitions captured in many of the Psalms in the Old Testament. Psalm 31 would be just one great example of that. And I've asked Luana if she would read a portion of that psalm to us. This is a prayer that you would pray when the sea billows roll, man. Listen to this. Perhaps close your eyes and listen. say amen and amen see that's supplication that's petition that's that's the honest intense asking of god 
God will never be offended. He will never be put off by such prayer, especially when it follows adoration and praise. But notice carefully now, church family, that, that, that not following, but, but commingled with this adoration and this intense supplication is that third element, which is what again? It's thanksgiving. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything but in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Paul's saying, acknowledge God as God. Lay your anxiety-generating situation before him with great honesty and intensity. And do that with a thankful heart. Now, that God is delighted by hearing his children say thank you, that's not news to us. Saying thank you, as we mentioned a moment ago, that's a big deal to God. What might be news to us, however, is that we're being encouraged to be thankful when our world is crashing in on us. When the sea billows are rolling over us and we're drowning, that's when we're being encouraged to be thankful. And that might be news to us, a new place to be thinking. And yet when we pray with thanks, with thanksgiving in the storm, there is something really good that happens within our anxiety-troubled soul. Now let me illustrate it this way. Imagine a Christian man, a godly guy, He's devoted to his wife. He's devoted to his family. I mean, he's the real deal. He's a sold-out follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he finds his name on a list of possible company layoffs. That night, he's lying in bed, and he can't sleep. The decision's going to be made public tomorrow. Who is going to get laid off? Anxious thoughts begin to race through his, his head robbing him of any chance of sleep. And so finally he gets up, he grabs his Bible, and he heads for the kitchen table. He turns to Psalm 145. And he reads it slowly. He reads it deliberately. He reads it out loud to the Lord. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. And he's glad that he can read from this psalm because it says things that he cannot really articulate in this moment. And so he, he, he's, he's, he's so, so grateful to have that. And then he begins to weep as he finishes reading that psalm. And he begins to pour out his heart. Almighty God, I am so afraid. I can't help it. I can't sleep. I need to sleep, but I can't sleep. And I can't sleep because I may be unemployed tomorrow. I'm I'm desperately anxious. You know, you know, I could lose my job tomorrow. Lord, there's the bills. There's the kids. The family's looking to me. My wife is scared. Winter is coming. There's nothing, however, that I can do. Please preserve my job if that will bring glory to you. I am powerless. But you're not powerless. You're in control. I give you my anxious, worrying heart and mind in Jesus' name. Now, 
Let me ask you. Is this Philippians 4.6? Is this Philippians 4.6 in all of its fullness? No? No. I'm glad you say no because you're absolutely right. No, it's not. It's two-thirds of Philippians 4.6, isn't it? It's, it's the adoration part, Psalm 145, and it's the supplication part with tears, but it's not all of 4.6 because it lacks what? It lacks the thanksgiving. So if it's all of 4.6, his prayer would continue this way. But you're not powerless. You are in control. I give you my anxious, worrying heart. Thank you, Father, that I can say that to you. Thank you that you hear me tonight alone in the dark with you. Thank you for understanding my sleeplessness. Thank you for your spirit, the Holy Spirit who is praying for me right now with with groans that can't even be put into human language. Thank you for providing this job for me for all of these years. Thank you for caring about my job and caring about my family. Thank you for loving me despite how puny my faith is at times. And thank you that you're already in my tomorrow. And thank you that you have the power to work in my company to preserve my job. And I thank you now that even if I see my name on that list of layoffs in the morning, whatever happens, you have my good and the good of my family in your heart. Thank you. Good night, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Is that all of 4-6? That's all three parts, isn't it? Now, maybe you would say it differently. The point is your anxiety-destroying prayer will have these three elements. Praise and adoration, intense, honest request, and thanks to God, no matter what. That's 4-6. And then before we leave the verse, can I just heighten your senses to the words anything and everything there in verse 6? Those two words are words of open, unrestricted invitation. Do not be anxious about anything and bring everything to God in prayer with adoration, supplication, and thanksgiving. In other words, nothing is out of bounds or off limits or silly or stupid or you're not allowed to talk about God to God about things like that. This is an all-inclusive invitation. Anything and everything, bring it to God. But with these three elements as part of that process. And then, fellow Christian, when we put into practice verse 6, it leads automatically to one of the best and greatest deals that we will ever get. If you flip your note page over, if we will bring our anxiety with adoration and with heartfelt, intense supplication and petition, mingled with copious amounts of sincere thanks and gratitude, we, he, God will take all of that anxiety and he'll exchange it for his what? For his peace. Talk about a great deal. That's a great deal. My anxiety for God's impossible to fathom peace. Is that not what verse 7 says? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, 
It's unfathomable. Well, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus said it this way on the night before his cross when he would have had every right to feel fear and anxiety and and doubt and all of those things that we would experience on the night before the cross. Here's what Jesus says, John 14, 27. What's the first word? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. A little bit later on, same night, verse six, uh, verse 33 of chapter 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have what? Peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I've done what? I've overcome your world. That is to say that we can rest within the care of him who never, ever has been anxious. God is peace, isn't he? He is peace. He's the absence of turmoil and pain and loss and sorrow and sin and trepidation and uncertainty and death. All of the things that create anxiety for you and me, they are not a part of him. They do not exist in him. And so if we are in him by faith, that's the last three words of verse 7, isn't it? In Christ Jesus. If we're in Christ Jesus, then we have access to this peace that cannot be explained. The peace of God. It doesn't mean that we become Christians and we don't have tough times, does it? Anybody? Not at all. Thank you, Luana. Not at all. But it does mean that we have everything we need to move through those tough times free of anxiety and comforted by his peace. What a deal. And this peace of God, says Paul, guards our hearts and our minds, doesn't it? The Greek word here for guards, it's a really cool word. It's actually the Greek word for garrison. Now, remember how I mentioned earlier that Paul writes this letter as he is in prison and he's chained to a Roman soldier. Perhaps as he pondered the words of verse 7, his, his eyes fell on this soldier that he was chained to and he's prompted to think about this elite fighting man. He's a soldier and, and he's probably part of the Praetorian Guard, the, the best of the best. And, 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 and just one of these soldiers would have been a formidable force, but a whole garrison of them? Now, that's a fighting machine. Well, Paul uses that word, garrison. Paul says the peace of God garrisons the Christian's heart and the Christian's mind when we do verse 6. In other words, the Christian's emotions, which spring from the heart, and the Christian's thoughts, which flow from the mind, are protected and even prevented supernaturally from running in an anxiety-producing direction when we pray with adoration, with supplication, and with thanksgiving. God garrisons the heart and the mind with his peace. And how does that happen? Brothers, sisters, how does that happen? How does that happen? I don't know how it happens. Paul doesn't know how it happens. That's why he writes that it's a supernatural peace that surpasses all human logic 
to be able to explain it or understand it. We don't need to understand it, do we? How it happens? We just need to know that it happens. That God garrisons our heart and our mind with his peace when we do those three things. Does it work? Does it does it work, church? The Holy Spirit says it works. Paul would say that it works. Countless Christians in the past 20 centuries would say that it works. Horatio Spafford would say that it works. Many of you just said, this works. The very first line of Spafford's hymn. How how did it go again? When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is But we got to know this. Verses 6 and 7 ultimately work because of the last three words of verse 7, right? In Christ Jesus. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 6 only works if we are in Him, right? Only then. Only if he is our Savior and our Lord and we are in a personal relationship with the living God through faith in him does verse 6 work. One of my all-time favorite stories, if you've been around the Bible church, you've heard this before, and so I apologize to you for that, but it's one of my favorites, is the story of an old man who was carrying a huge bundle of sticks on his back, and he's walking down a rough dirt road, and and a kind fellow in a truck stops and, and offers to give him a ride. And he very gratefully accepts the ride. He climbs into the back of the truck where he's joined several others whom this driver has also picked up. However, as the truck begins to move down the road, the man, for some reason, kept the bundle of sticks on his back and he stood hunched over in the back of the truck. Well, one of the other passengers suggested that he lay down the bundle and he rests. And the old man replies, Oh, no. No, I could never do that. The driver has been kind enough to carry me. I would not ask him to carry my burden of sticks as well. You know what, church family? There are some of us in this room right now that are just like the old man in terms of our practice of Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Jesus has died for us. He's taken our load of sin and death, and he is in truth this very moment carrying us to glory. And yet we insist on carrying around a load of fear, worry, apprehension, sleepless nights, racing pulse, a load of anxiety. No different, really. And that, my friends, needs to stop today, right now. Does it not? It needs to stop. 
in Christ Jesus, we have access to a peace that the world cannot explain through our adoration, our supplication, and our thanksgiving to God in prayer when we bring him our story. How cool is that? Let's read together one more time as our close. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank you for the gift of these two verses to us. And oh, I know, Heavenly Father, because I know this church family. I know the storms that are represented, that are, that are sitting in these chairs right now. I know some of these storms. And I pray for my friends that the truth of these two verses would be laid hold of today and put into practice today. And that those who are in the middle of the sea billows rolling over them, that they would know your peace that surpasses all understanding. For those of us who are not in such a place, thank you that we are not in such a place. But thank you for preparing us for when we go there. We love you, Lord. We really do but only because you loved us first in Christ Jesus. And we all say together, amen and amen.